Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Start playing with some jam in here. Let's go. This is the Orange and Back Check Podcast with Bill Kornfeld and Scott Weinhard. Yes, we are back. It is Orange and Backcheck. Hope you had a wonderful Christmas and a happy new year. Much better, hopefully, than what the Philadelphia Flyers have put up over the last couple weeks over this uh, Christmas holiday. As always, I am joined by Scott Weinhardt. I am Bill Kornfeld. Scott, this has not been a great road trip for sure for the Philadelphia Flyers. They come back on the East Coast, thankfully, uh, tonight against uh, Carolina, but I don't know what to make of this after a rough. They're on a three-game slide, and they only came away with one win, that being against the lowly Anaheim Ducks. And even there, they struggled. They had to take it to overtime to win. What are your overall thoughts after after this West Coast swing? Well, they've fallen apart defensively. Um, You know what? I'm just going to come out and say it. It's time to hit the panic button. Everybody, let's blow the team up. It's time. It's ready to go. (laughs) Because I know everybody's probably thinking that. Again. Because it happens like two or three times every season. We, this team has put us on quite the roller coaster so far. We've either been really high about them, like, oh, my God, this team, they've won like four straight. And then they go on a dip, and they go lose four straight. So yeah, if you're looking at that way, they're playing 500 hockey, which is strangely you were talking about previously. They're literally playing 500 hockey. They, their, their regulation wins, not including shootouts, is 50%. The, the the games that matter come playoff time where there's no shootouts. They are winning 50% of those games or converting 50% of their points, I should say. And it's just, it's not good enough anymore. The, the, it, for what we anticipated this team to be under AV, nothing's going right right now. And they just need to come home. Like, that's where they need to be. Yeah. You see, there are seven teams in the Pacific Division. And so far this season... The Flyers only have wins against the Ducks and against the Canucks. Every other team they've played against, they've lost. I think they, they I'm sorry, they beat Vegas as well. They did beat Vegas earlier this season, if I'm not mistaken. We'll have to double check our statistician with that one. Um, but the point is, they did. They beat they beat the yes. Golden Knights six to two. So they have three wins against the, against the Pacific Division so far this season. And that was the seventh game of the year, so it's been a while. I, I, that was back in October. For whatever reason, they just they they historically have struggled against this division in recent years. Part of it is because teams out west have gotten a bit faster. It has kind of hurt them a little bit in the sense that they're not able to keep up with the speed of the team as far as the forechecking is. They're they can't regroup fast enough. 
you got to give them a little bit of credit because they battled back in each one of the games, except really for, honestly, when it comes down to it, the San Jose game and, and, and the Coyotes game, they battled back against the Ducks. They battled back against the Kings. They battled back against the Golden Knights. The crazy thing is, though, they lost to the 5th, 6th, and 7th place teams in the Pacific Division. San Jose's 5th, Anaheim's 6th, the Kings are 7th. The Kings, even though they tried to come back in that game, they got blown out. I mean, I haven't seen Provorov and Niskanen play that poorly all season long. It makes the goaltending look bad because Carter Hump uh, – Carter Hump. Carter Hump. <laughs> It's been that kind of it's been that kind of week like for the Flyers. And to your point about how we talked about the ups and downs of this team, yeah. It it really come and I I will get into it more. I don't totally blame Carter Hart for his struggles that he's suffered on this road swing, especially on the road. Like historically, this season he's just been bad on the road. Well, the I team overall's that... been bad on the road overall right. this season. So, but like the ups and downs of this team kind of go with how Carter Hart is feeling for that that mood how he's going for that for that swing and when he plays bad he the the entire team plays bad and it's not all on him I'm not saying like it's a Carson Wentz situation where if he goes down and Josh the the equivalent of of Brian Elliott to Josh McCown has to step in and they complete everything falls apart but it's it's a decent comparison at the same time because the teams rely on them they rely on Carson Wentz the Eagles and they rely on Carter Hart because whether it's fair or not, I'm pretty sure we can safely say, eh, I would say at the end of this season, he's the franchise guy if we haven't dubbed him already. I think I have said that in recent podcast or in past podcasts. Well, you have, and I think that he is going to be the starter here for a very long time with, with good reason. The kid is good. He's got a lot of talent. He's got a lot of skill. You know, they haven't had a young goaltender like this in a long time, but the thing is, though, it, it's not about the goaltending here. It's about the defense. The defense has been letting teams skate right about around them. They, they've let wide-open chances in front. They're not clearing out rebounds. They're not putting guys in front of Carter Hart to try to knock away the rebounds when they come out in front. I saw that in the Vegas game. I saw that in the Kings game. I saw it in the Sharks game. Their defense took a nosedive suddenly. I think there's a lot more that goes into it than just the fact that they're on the road. I think, actually, believe it or not, I think Limblom's illness has caused this to kind of rear its head strategically because your wingers can come back on defense. He did play in all three zones. He was pretty overall pretty solid. Scoring and, and offense hasn't been a problem. They've been putting over 30 shots a game. I mean, against against the Ducks, they had 35. The Kings, they had 35. They had 38 against the Golden Knights. They had 29 against the Coyotes, who are the top team in the West. Um, but I think we need to see how quality those shots were at the end of the day because if they're just throwing pucks on net. Which they are. Which they I'm are. Sure, yeah, like I think that's part of AV's system. I can't like just say – well, at least they're getting shots on because if they're not creating high quality chances or at least quality chances, then 30 shots means nothing to me personally. Like at the end of the day, whether they had 15 shots or 35 shots, if they're not if those 15 were more quality than the 35 shots percentage-wise, then the that 15 shot law game is a better quality in my in my eyes. You're not you're not going to the dark side and gonna start talking analytics on me, are you? I think what, whether we want to accept it or not, I, I like I am more analytical than you in terms of how I weigh how good this team has played. But I've also can I think like I've said we've both agreed 
hockey is the most difficult game to run analytics. So it's not like baseball. It's not like football. Uh, I, basketball, I, I couldn't even tell you how basketball runs analytics if they run it. But at the end of the day, hockey is the most difficult one. You have to find that, like, not even 50-50. Like, I would say you have to lean analytics in the 45 and under range, but you still have to weigh it in your decision-making in today's, in 2020. I don't think there's any way around it without incorporating it in some capacity. Fair enough, but you still haven't convinced me. The point is, is that you, the only way the puck's going in the net if you shoot it. I mean, I think it's more, and let's take a step back here. The main problem is the defense, and I have to kind of backtrack, but the, the main problem has been the defense of allowing too many good quality scoring chances where the Flyers have kind of had to press. So they haven't had to be able to get into that flow while they battle back in games, while they've actually gotten some pucks in the net and cut them close. The main problem is, is that, their defense is making their goaltending look bad, worse than it really is. I don't think Carter Hart played specifically bad. Otherwise, he would have been pulled in the game against the Golden Knights when they were down, I believe, what? They were down 4-1 after 2 or 5-1 after something like that. They and yeah. they, they were down a lot in that game, and I was surprised that he kept that Vigneault kept Hart in there. Uh, the point is, is that they're generating offense – and they're generating decent scoring chances. And you can see by them battling back, they're scoring goals. The problem is, is that in my view, these games have been a little more lopsided. San Jose, they just completely collapsed. I thought, okay, it was just a rough game. First game out on the West Coast, that was it. They go back and grind it out against the Ducks. Kind of worrisome against the, a, almost the last place team in the West. The Kings, I'm sorry, the dead last team, in probably almost the whole entire league, you, you don't you don't get down big to them. And they got down big. They were down 3 nothing 10 minutes into that game. And that's regardless of who you're playing, you don't climb out of that. Uh, not long before that, the Kings had gotten rid of Ilya Kovalchuk. I think the Kings might be have changed it up a little bit. I think that now he's out of their system and on to, I, I believe he went to Montreal, that that kind of helped them out a little bit. But... When you go back into it, they generate enough good scoring chances to get in when the games are and they're cutting it close. The Coyotes are really good defensively. They didn't look good at all in the entire game. No, none of their facets and other games look good against them. Even earlier this season when they played the Coyotes, the Coyotes are just that good. The real glaring one out of this is the Sharks because they collapsed. But the other games, they cut it close. So it's not about if they generated quality scoring chances, they're getting enough offense. The problem is, is that they're not playing a complete team game. That's the problem here. But I think it goes back to what you said. Look, they've been on the road since December 28th. They've been on the road since 2019. It's 2020 now. I yeah. did that joke, okay? <laughs> All right, go ahead. Chastised me for it. I went ahead and did it. But it's the truth. They've been gone for well over a week and a half, almost two weeks. That's a, that's a long way to be away as, as a team, and especially with you know them trying to figure things out strategically with the Limblom situation because, yes, although that happened a few weeks ago, that still is playing into effect here because it's causing holes in the lineup. So until while in the short term it looks like, oh, man, they, 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 they were okay with that Limblom. Now you're starting to see the effects from it because they, they don't have that bounce they did earlier in the season. So when you go on road trips like this against teams in their home building – you're at a disadvantage because you're not with your regular roster. So they have to do something here. They they sent Morgan Frost down, which was a great move because he wasn't doing anything. Look, 
The guy's got skill. He's going to be an elite player one of these days, but right now he's not doing anything, so you, you can't waste that roster spot. You can't have someone in there who's not producing when you expect the guy to produce. I, I think they've got to make really start looking at a move here now that Marco Scandella was traded uh, last week from Buffalo to Montreal. I think that this might open up the market a little bit. Might not be the bad idea to start testing the ghost, the ghost uh, trade wheels here to kind of see where that goes yeah. because you you need you need something back. You need something back whether you're getting either another defender or something to kind of fill that hole for Limblom. Maybe someone on a one or two year deal that if if Limblom comes back, you can flip him for another asset. So um, again, we talked about it before. Josh Levo, Matt Nieto, they could be decent fits for this team. It's just a matter of are they going to get it done or not or whatever's going on. I know Fletcher's probably on the phone trying to wheel something, make a deal, something here. But um, they this this shows the hole that Limblom left, and they need to address it as a team. And they're right now, I don't see a way out of it with the current roster that they have. I you, a lot of stuff there, but like uh, yeah. I didn't want to disrupt you because you had great points. Like, I 100% agree. Um, facetiously and really being serious, I think what needs to happen is this is now two years in a row they've done this, like, and probably more. I've only gone back since last season for comparison. They've done this stupid road swing around the Christmas and New Year time. Now, two years in a row, probably more if I were to go back more. They do it almost every year. They do almost, either 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 it's, it's California or it's Canada. Either or they're yeah. on the Western road trip when Disney on Ice is in Philadelphia. And that's the thing. I don't care how much money this thing breaks in. I want the Flyers at home next year for the Christmas holiday. Like, I'm, I, I, I don't like, – I get what the Wells Fargo is. It's a business. It needs to make its money. But it can – and it'll make its money every year for something. And I'm sure Disney is a cash cow. They canceled Eagles games and or they canceled shows because of the Eagles game yesterday, which caused a flurry, but they still made their money. Like, bring the Flyers back home for Christmas next year. That would solve, I think, a lot of problems because as much as uh, it's, I'm sure people will call it, including yourself, will call it excuse making. Like, it sucks to be on the road for Christmas. I get it. And we talked about how the NHL needs to fix itself by playing games on Christmas or Boxing Day or something to get fans to draw in. And that's fine. But if you need to have a balance of when your team is home and when your team is away, and the Flyers consistently, year after year, are on the road. And it's just, it's got to weigh a heavy toll, especially for these young guys. Carter Hart's probably never had this experience before because he came in late last year. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was after this road trip or soon after that he really started to get a lot of game time. Um, uh, and it's just, and then focusing on this year, the, yeah, I agree. Like the ghost ghost has ghost is your guy that you're going to obviously trade. The problem is now Fletcher has put him into a spot. Cause I don't think he anticipated this to go into this bad of a slump. Now you got to think of it like, Okay, I need to get. I need to find a piece. I need to find another winger. I need to find something for this team. And my only trade piece at the time that I'm willing to let go mid-season is Ghost. And every other team knows that. Like they're not gonna just say, "Oh yeah, sure, let's give uh, whatever X and Y for this team." 
they're going to try and fleece the Flyers. The, if Fletcher is at a huge, I don't want to say huge, but he's certainly at a disadvantage now. He doesn't have the bargaining chips. A lot of teams like Ghost, teams look at Ghost and they see the potential there. But at the same time, they're not going to give up the pieces that you anticipated if you're looking for a piece to become, uh, I, I won't say contender, but like a team that will compete in the playoffs, if that makes sense. Cont- between contender and compete, I think there's a little bit of a difference there. Um, compared to when you're now slumping and you're you're struggling on the road, you're struggling coming back on the East Coast probably because Carolina is not an easy task. They're in the first spot in the wild card right now at the, at the time of this recording. And it's like, how much are you going to get for Ghost at this point if you make a drastic move? I don't need to be in a situation where, um, uh, who was the guy? I want to say it was like 2011, 2012. He was on the Panthers uh, that they made the trade. God, it was something with a V. But as soon as they made that trade, all of a sudden, the team completely fell apart. And it never be. Oh, you're never, talking about Chris Versteeg? Thank you. Chris Versteeg. I don't know why I couldn't think of him. Think Chris Versteeg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That nice throwback, by the way. Yeah, he was trash. I don't even remember what the trade was, but I remember when Chris Versteeg came into this team, they were on a hot streak, and they got Versteeg to add some goal scoring. And as soon as he stepped into the up to the plate and got landed in Philadelphia, the team just completely, they stumbled into the playoffs that year, if I recall correctly, and nothing was the same. They never, they didn't re-sign him. He went down. Maybe he went to the Panthers after that. But either way, like, Versteeg, like, you can't make a Versteeg mistake. That's what I'm getting at here. Yeah, see, look, and you go back and you listen around, like, Brian Burke will tell you, every, every, there's a good deal and there's a bad deal. Like, you know, he's, it's the worst trade he's ever made. Like, he talks about that a lot, like, different things. But, like, um, take one thing into perspective. Like the Flyers have gone through their share of players throughout their history of of guys who are might be a piece for a run or a piece for. The whole thing is, is that here's a couple things you got to take a look into perspective. Okay, we could throw names out there like Dean McCammon. He didn't work out. Billy Tibbetts. He didn't work out. Uh, that name was a big one. Uh, <laughs> talk about um, Adam Oates trading all the all the load they did for Adam Oates, even though you know it generally just turned out to be first round draft picks, not Maxim Wallat, who was supposed to be really good. Um, they they've had these swing and miss trades. Every team has them. So the problem is when you're talking about the trade market for defensemen now. Marco Standella is a going to be a free agent after this season. And he's making $4.75 million. So he's going to be a free agent. He they, What happened was that Marco Scandella got flipped from Buffalo to Montreal for a fourth-round draft pick. And then that same fourth-round draft pick went and got Michael Froelich, who's having a bit of a down year with the uh, with the Flames. The whole point is, is that that sets the, for the market. But I believe both those guys are going to be UFAs after this year. Shane's got years on his contract left. So the thing is about, about Shane is that you're not just going to get him for a fourth-round draft pick. You're not going to get him for a haul either because teams are going to know while he carries value for what he can do, teams see what he does, and probably that's probably why they haven't pulled a trade yet. I don't and think Char- that he's going to get fleeced, but I, I don't think that you're going to get a huge haul for him. But the thing is, is that he's in contract until 2023 at a very, very, very reasonable number. So he's going to be at $4.5 million for the next three seasons after this one. 
So for the cap that's going to go up, you're going to talk about in, in inflation that's going to go up as well. His value money-wise is going to come down. So when you get into real business about it, is that actually Ghost's value is actually going to come down a little bit because the, the price of those defensemen are going to inflate. The idea is, though, is that you can't just trade him for a draft pick. You need an active roster player. Shane, if he's going to be traded, needs to be part of a hockey trade, not an asset trade. So it's going to have to be a player that's going to benefit both teams. At this time, I don't know around the league which team would be gearing up to go get a, a guy like Shane, but I would have to assume it would be someone out west. They're not going to trade him in conference. They'd be nuts to do so. But the thing is is that they need to evaluate what they need internally, what they need more of. My view you go back to what was the biggest issue with why Jake and Giroux took so many years to, to get going because they had nobody playing the left side with them. Right. So now you have a hole basically on your second line of another left winger that you're going to have either Kevin Hayes have a hole with or you have somewhere like you know another center along the lines where you can have a hole to play with, maybe Scott Lawton, that you, you can't fill, you can't replace that production. So they need to get somebody who can somewhat keep the production going while Limblom heals. Get a little term on the contract. Maybe take on a bad contract. Take on a little more salary at a team that's not working out. Maybe you get a reclamation project. Flyers have never been big on those outside of Alexander Dagan. That didn't work. But still, you, you get a reclamation project or someone who's got a little bit of term. I'd have to look and see what kind of players would do that. But you can get someone with a little value that it's going to be on the team because you don't know what's going to happen with Limblom. And it's a major hole in the roster, bigger than people think. People could say, yeah, it could be any team that could be out with an injury. Jake Gensel's pretty much lost for a couple months out. Probably, I think he's out for the year for Pittsburgh, and he was having a career year. And that's a big hole for them. But they have Crosby and Malkin. The Flyers don't have Crosby and Malkin. Right. So they need someone to replace that to get that flow, get that chemistry. Without that, they're not going to go anywhere. So right. one player does make a difference sometimes. It really, he really does. And to your point, like as much as everyone wants to dub as Claude Giroux, we've said it time and time again on this podcast. He is not the level of Sidney Crosby. He was maybe from 09 to 11, but that was a small window. He was under Laviolette's system, and then everything changed. But to your point about how Ghost needs to go, probably he's probably going to Fletcher's probably going to do something with the Western team. I'm looking at the standings now, and in the West, and. Winnipeg is exactly where the Flyers are. They're at a 50% rate of their regular uh, regulation points conversion rate. Like, they have a decent history with them. They've made a couple trades in the past. Um, obviously, you have the Kings uh, that have historically, you obviously had the big trade back in the day uh, with Je um, not Jeff Carter, uh, Mike Richards. Uh, but, like, these players are, or these teams, I should say, I don't think any of them are ready where the Flyers are. And I think Fletcher has to realize that as well because uh, the trade deadline is what? In February of, of this year, I believe. Uh, I'll have to double check that. But yeah, it's usually towards the end of February, early March. It's February, March. But either way, like it's it's this is not a fun spot. Like I, I, something tells me as much as we want them to make a move, I don't think we're, we might not see a move here by Fletcher until the trade deadline. And I, it's very possible. It's very possible. And, you know, I, th probably the brass internally thinks that they'll just, this is a slump, which it, 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 it totally is. It's something they can overcome. There's no question about it. The problem is when you look long-term is when you're gearing up for a playoff run, like we're, we're in, we're in January. Now we're heading to the doldrums of the season, January, February, where each point is going to become more critical. 
if if I am a GM, I'm looking at this from a perspective, okay, you know, okay, we, we had a little slump here on our road trip. You know, we're, 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 we just won four games before that. We're a little bit over a roll, a little bit of an up and down here. Let's see what happens. Let's see if we can start to even this ship out. If, if it doesn't, if they start keep, and I would even say this, if they win a few, then lose a few. Then win a few, then it's still not the stability you need. You need the team consistently winning games, drop one here, and then start winning a couple more again. You can't have this win streak, then lose streak, win streak, then lose streak. Yeah, you get points that way, but it, it doesn't help you overall for where you need to go. You need consistency. So if I'm looking at this at the GM level, I would say, okay, if I'm Chuck Fletcher, which I'm not, I'm much, much more attractive. <laughs> That's not true whatsoever. So, uh, but the point is, is that if I'm Chuck Fletcher, I'm going to look at this and say, okay, this is what we have to work with. Can, can we bump our way in and, and maybe flip a deal at the deadline? Or is it something, okay, am I, am I going to make a move now or not now, within the next maybe, you know, right around the All-Star break maybe, right, right after the All-Star yeah, break it, or somewhere yeah. around then, like within the next 30 days rather than waiting until the deadline? Am I going to be able to make a move here and, and try to get this team – the ship brightened where it's just kind of stable right now. There's, there's turbulence. It's not that they're the planes going down or anything. It, it, there's just turbulence here. So if they're trying to level off and trying to, to make this flight smooth to the playoffs, I, I think that there needs to be a little more, I would say an offensive punch because let's be honest here. Maybe because now Justin Braun's hurt and he's going to be out till after the all-star break. Maybe that changes things a little bit. I would think would have to, because you trade ghost, I mean, you're back down to Philip Myers and Robert Haig, and, and Haig hasn't been good analytically so far this year, even though he can throw the body around. Um, but Shane hasn't really done much either, and Shane is still prone to those sloppy turnovers that he probably learned from Jake Voracek because still he's he's playing not well either. To end my rant, the point is I'm trying to make is that there's got to be a move here that needs to be made sooner to kind of level this stuff off because – you're going into a critical point of the season where you have a very, very, very tough part of your schedule coming up. And while it's friendly in the sense that at six out of the next seven games are home after the Carolina game, the problem is you're going to start playing teams like Washington, Tampa, who's on a tear right now. That team looked uh, And we knew that was going to happen. You don't go from the best team, the President's Trophy winners in Tampa Bay like they were last year, get bounced in the first round in the playoffs of last year, and then stumble out of the gates, you knew, everyone knew, uh, like, except maybe Cherry, like, because God hates him, and who cares? Like, like, who cares about Cherry's opinion? That's all I have to say. Like, he was probably the only guy that was like, nope, Tampa Bay's done. But everyone else was like, "There's this team is too talented to be struggling like this and not make a push at some point and that's exactly what they're in the midst of doing and the rest of january it's not going to get easier yeah you have the all-star break coming up but you have a bunch of games here which gets really tough teams so you've got the capitals you got the lightning you got the bruins you're going against you're going to st louis to play the champs and you got to go play montreal montreal's been playing a little bit they've been slumping but montreal's a dangerous team they're it only it's not going to take much to get them going again and then you have the kings again then you play and you right before the All-Star break, you pay the, the Penguins, and then you come right out of the All-Star break against the Penguins again. So they have a very, very tough schedule coming up here. So that's the point is that you, this is the streak where you got to kind of look at it and say, okay, it depends on how they get through these games. 
If they lose more than they win them, a move's got to be made. My concern is, though, is that they might think they're okay if they go through a good spot here. But the problem is, is that when they get to teams like playing like they'll play at Detroit again, it's not that good. Jersey is not that good. And eventually at the middle of middle of um, February, they're going to play Columbus again. They'll have a couple hard games sprinkled in there. But for the next month, their teams are generally going to be pretty hard. So those points are not going to be easy to come by. So if, if they get through this little stretch here and they play well, great. But don't mask the bigger problem that there's still holes in this roster they need to address, and they need to really think about long and hard what's go- what's going to benefit them. Yeah, I like so they play tonight against Carolina, then they have Washington, uh, and, and that's the other thing too. They have a back to back this week, and then they have a back to back next week. You talked about St. Louis and Montreal. That's another back to back. Why do I they, feel like they have a fifty million ten back to back a season? It, they've had a it's, ton. It's ton of, there's a ton of them. It's really unnecessary. It really I is. Think my thought is it's similar to like the old NBA or what the NBA does too. They get rid of the back to backs early in the, as early in the season as they possibly can, and then by the end, I don't like if uh, let's I'll do a quick glance at the old. Nope, because they have a back-to-back. Uh, they play the Devils and the P- P- uh, Pittsburgh on a back-to-back in late March. So, like, that that theory's out the window. Terrible. You know it's a nightmare. It's, oh, my God. And they have the Dallas Stars and Nashville Prayer. What the hell is this scheduling? The, you know what? This is a awful scheduling. Like, you're telling me over an 82-game schedule. This is why the, 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 I'm going on a rant here. The eight, 82 games is insane. Like, I, 162 games in baseball is insane. The perfect team, or the perfect league, is the NFL. 17 weeks, they're arguing now for 18 weeks, which is whatever, fine, if you want to push that. Or 19 weeks, I guess it would be, because they want to add two weeks and two buys. Fine. I Like, I, you clearly don't care about player safety if you're adding two games and you let things like Clowney's hit go by on the Carson Wentz. So, like, let's care about... If we're if we're serious, if we're legitimately serious about player safety and concussions, and concussions is not exclusively an issue to football, it's a big issue in the NHL. I don't even know what the NHL rules are in the in, in terms of like I don't think I don't think they have the independent neurologist on site that like is the spotter compared to the NFL. So if we're serious, why are we playing 82 games of one of the most physical, if not the most physical sport on the freaking planet? And you're playing all these back-to-backs at the end of March when the season ends in the first week of April, and then you're telling me, then you got to qualify, we're just going to go into the argument that Flyers are going to qualify for the playoffs, and then you're going to tell me that the Flyers are now going to play every other night on the playoffs after all these back-to-backs and be 100% healthy. Why do you think at the end of the year, Claude Giroux is always having wrist surgery? It's not just because of Sidney Crosby and getting slashed all around on on the face-offs. It's because of these godforsaken games that are just non-stop wear and tear on the body and then their wrists are just they flap in the wind like they they have no cartilage in them and then they have to go through surgery so why are we playing and kidding ourselves that 82 games is a decent number and i know i'm pissing in the wind here because there's no way the nhl and gary bettman the vampire that vampire is ever gonna decide hey i want less money like let's let's do it like it's a joke you can't tell me that you can't structure these back-to-backs early on in the first five months of the season and then call it a, a day rant over i'm so fed up i'm done with this what did you say i'm done with this <laughs> 
No, can, can you go over that whole thing again? I wasn't listening. Oh, I hate you. I, I hate you. <laughs> I'm ending the podcast. No, you, you have you have very, very solid points. You know, I just shut my mic off there and let you go. I mean, I, hey, man, like, I, very, very good points. Well, I can tell you the one reason why they play 82 games a season. Uh, money. I mean, money. Yeah, and it's, 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 it's simple. Without a doubt, it is. The whole point is, too, is that if you look at the four major sports, hockey makes the least amount of money. In 1999, Yarmir Yager was the highest played player in the league, making $10 million a season in 1999. Okay. Now, 20 years later, the highest played player in the league, Connor McDavid, is making about $10 million a season. The, 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 the point is, is that there, there's no – the league hasn't done enough justice with itself in its marketing, which we talked about last podcast, to really earn more revenue there. But you look at, like, the other leagues, the NBA is, is ridiculously good at, at marketing their players. and It's a player's league. The NBA has become a – You can go yeah. anywhere you want and say, okay, just pay me a max contract. And the team's are like, okay, we're just going to pay you $250 million. Baseball players are signing for $300 million over 13 years. Look at Bryce Harper. You know, 13 years, $330 million for, for, to, to, for baseball, which to me is shocking that you can make that much money in baseball because there's nobody ever at the stadiums. And, it, I mean, like, look at the Phillies. How can they afford to pay that guy? It's all because of these TV deals. These TV deals that the Phillies got after their 08, 09, 10, 11 run when they were serious contenders. Throw an 07 in there, fine. Like, like these these long, successful runs for these, these or excuse me, not even just these runs, but these city-exclusive deals. I know we talked about last week about how we got to bring back Gary Thorne and ESPN uh, Hockey Night and all that stuff, but that's not where the money's... Th- there's obviously money in that location, too, but where... It's yeah. the national stage. Like, the NFL owns a day. They basically own right. two days. They own Thursday, and they own Sunday, and then they have whoever's left over on Monday night because yeah, nobody watches that anymore. Monday night is at this point. Exactly. It's not that that's not the spectacle it is because they own the day. I mean, there's games starting at one o'clock in the afternoon and they're ending at eleven o'clock at night. You get ten hours of an entire day, you own it. The NBA has a national presence because they get marketing on ESPN. Their things are on national TV on ABC. Everybody talks about them because they're individualized with five guys. And we talked about this before. It goes back to the player movement issue where there's not enough face time for these players. That they, There's not enough big names and big markets that all these guys come from the bottom up. And it's like, oh, well, oh, yeah, if you're a Ranger fan, your biggest player now is going to be Capo Caco. Like, who, who can pronounce that in New York? Who cares? Like, sorry. Like, you know, like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah I like the Capo Caco guy. Look, everybody will look at you like you got five heads if you talk outside of New York City with that. Only people in New York really know about that guy. Of right. course, if you're a big enough fan, yes, you do. But the point is, I mean, people in Philadelphia don't really know about them yet. And yep. and that's going to be their next big star. The problem is, as we talked about, too, 82 games is way, way, way too much. Even 82 games in the NBA is way, way, way too much. Yep. And the point is, and you're absolutely right, these back-to-backs don't make for a quality product. If the NHL cut its season down by 10 or 15 games and you could spread them out, you're going to get a much better quality product. Because at the end of the day, it's about quality and not quantity. Yes, you can go to the Wells Fargo Center 41 times a season and watch your team play. But how many of those games are going to be at a high quality level? 
probably about half, right? So, you know, that's the thing. Yes, you want to see your team win, but I, you know, I'm a big believer in a team. I'd rather see a team play well and win rather than just, ah, they won by a goal. They won two to one in a defensive matchup. I, 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 nobody wants to watch that. It's, it's not about the goaltending equipment. It's not about, it's not about the speed of the game. It's about the fact that these guys are so worn down and everybody gets into it with the playoffs because they have tight checking and everything like that. But if you cut the season down 10 or 15 games, those guys would be much more fine-tuned and the playoffs would be even better than they are out. Probably even more high-scoring, which would be even more exciting than that. But yeah, so and that's my response to your rant. Before I wrap this podcast up, or we wrap this podcast up, like the, the problem with the NHL back-to-back exclusively really is, I would most of the time, you can look at the schedule and, or basically how they're playing. Like they have a back-to-back this week. Tonight in on Tuesday and uh, against the Capitals tomorrow night. Like, I can almost guarantee they may compete against Carolina t- tonight. They're going to get blown out by Washington. Like, I-, I have a general idea of how these things are going to go, especially in the NHL. It's very predictable how they're going to have heavy legs by the third period and Alex Ovechkin is going to be sitting in the slot and he's going to score his trademark goal and that'll be it. Like and then uh, then you got the Blues and the Montreal uh, in the following week uh, in a back to back. At this point, I have no idea. I can only imagine that they're going to get swept because it's the defending champs in St. Louis. In St. Louis, then you got to hop on a plane and less than twenty four hours later play against the Montreal Canadiens. Like I, I just I can't see how like Montreal. Fine, that's a winnable game at home, but still, like this is not this can't be fun. I get that they're flying on probably world-class jets and stuff like that and getting plenty of leg room compared to the rest of us heathens that get nothing when we fly. Like, but, like, they're going to get, they're getting something, but at the same time, that's a tough travel schedule at the end of the day. The Seahawks just came over here from Seattle. That's not an easy flight, even with the wind's tailwind or whatever it's called when you got the wind coming from west to east. That's still a a five-and-a-half-hour flight, so... That um, I've said my, I've made my speech on it. Like I know I'm gonna. Not many people agree with me, or maybe they do. I don't know. It's such a stupid concept, but it really is, obviously. and I don't, I don't think that people bring enough attention to it. I completely agree with you. It's it's yeah. it's silly because the thing is, is that one of their biggest draws of the year should be that Washington game. It should be their Washington game because. That is a team that won the Stanley Cup two years ago. It is a heated rivalry for two teams that play each other very hard. The problem is that you know right away what's going to happen is that you're going to have to go down to Carolina and play Carolina tomorrow on a really, really tough game because Carolina's good. The issue is is that the next night at home, while you'll have jump because it'll be your first home game in a while, you get that always predictable all of a sudden, you're pinned in your own end with 10 minutes to go in the third period while you're hanging on to a one-goal lead, and it's just a matter of not if, but when you're going to blow that thing. Uh, we saw that against the Bruins when they won in that shootout to get that, their first four-game win streak of the season. You've seen it a couple times that just that, that second half, that third period, they just you could see their legs are tired. Does the NHL really like to see that? And they can make the excuse, oh, every team does it. Okay, well, that's not the point. The point is, yes, every team has to go through that. That's what sucks about it, is that now all of a sudden you actually, because of the scheduling and how horrible it is, you've given the other team a legitimate advantage where the ice is literally tilted 
in one direction for a half a period in a tight game on a back-to-back. It doesn't make the product fun. It does for one team because one team is actually going to be like, oh, yeah, we, we pulled it out and we won and we came back and we made it thrilling for the one side. But at the end of the day, did you get a really – did the fans get a 60-minute experience out of that? Did the players give – as far of course they always give everything they have but the point is is that the most beneficial thing for the players because they've had to travel and then they have a burnout because they're exhausted from having to go to this back-to-back and this travel which is a wear and tear on a regular body not to mention professional athletes of course it's going to wear on them the 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 point is is that if you have i think they have what 14 back-to-backs this season that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. That is literally two full weeks of the, where they have twenty a whole entire month where they're playing every single day. You get worn down. It's stupid. And, and the, you mentioned the Boston game uh, back in, in, in November that brought up there. And I, this will be my last point, I, I swear. Uh, like that was part of a four-game win streak. But you know what it was also part of? Nine of those games, starting with the Devils in the 1st of November, that started a seven out of nine games that went to overtime or shootout. Every one of them went to overtime except, or I'm sorry, every one of them went to a shootout except for one, and that was Montreal, where they somehow won, or they, they, managed, to, they managed to win 3-2. to two. But the amount of back-to-backs and overtime, and you can blame... Uh, you can blame the Flyers for not being able to close out games, but I can also say it's because of these back-to-backs that they can't close out games. Yeah, and not only that, too, they've played three extra games this season already. With the overtime yeah. and shootouts they've had, they've gone overtime and a shootout. Uh, yeah, they've had three extra games if you do the math and everything. So that, that that's insane to me. I mean, it makes it more fun. But you're going to get a more quality thing. Like, for instance, if they cut the season down 10 or 15 games, this would be much, much, much more exciting for the league. And you could get rid of the shootout and then go to a 10-minute three-on-three, and you just go until somebody scores. You just turn yeah. the clock off and say, next goal wins. And you know how that, exciting that would be? Because that you would wouldn't, be incredible. That would be amazing. Because you'd get those 10 a, extra games. That is a much better idea than what I was going to suggest, where if they don't cut down – to 64 games or 57 games, whatever they want to land on, if that were ever a discussion, which there's no way. Like I said, we're pissing in the wind here. But would you bring back the tie if they don't cut these down? <sighs> That's I don't think you do. I don't think so. I think that you, you could, in a sense, where, no, I, I don't think you can bring back the tie because then you're, you're splitting the point. I, I think that they need to do something this way is that if they really, the league is not going to just turn off the clock and say, okay, next goal wins because you, you could literally be there for like five overtimes. Sometimes it's just those things happen. You've seen it happen in the playoffs where you go to yep. th- two, three overtimes that would probably it'd make up that amount in game time, but still but defeat the purpose of it. The, the best thing for the league to do in that situation, okay, is go to a three, two, one, Zero point system. So three points for a regulation win. Yes. Okay. Yes. And if you're gonna give, if you're gonna get to overtime, each team gets a point, and then you battle out for the extra point. And then that what happens that you're always up for three points on that. So if you win in overtime, you automatically get the point for the for getting the overtime. But then if you win it, you get three points. And if you go to a shootout, you only get two points. So instead of having right. to worry about regulation only wins and things of that nature. As they talk about, like the regulation only wins and the ties all stuff. It makes it simple. You can just rely on your point system because yeah. if you're giving three points for a win, 
Okay, no points for a loss, and then you can get three points if you get to overtime and you win in overtime. You get three points for a win and zero points for a loss or one point, however they want to do it. And if you get to a shootout, then it's two points for a win and one point for a loss. Right, because I I can't see a world. I I still don't understand the world that we live in with the NHL world that the equivalent of a NHL shootout win is this val is valued the same as a regulation win. It's insanity to me. It, it doesn't, and it makes no difference. That, oh, let's look at regulation only wins. No, you can change the point system. I'm even cool with this. Is that if you go to overtime for five minutes, three on three, to put more emphasis on the three on three, so teams aren't sitting back as much. Nope. When you get to overtime, you don't get points. It's still three or zero. And then yeah. if you really get to it, okay, each team's going to a shootout at this point. Then you earn the point, and the second one gets the second point because there's still I, three points there up for grabs. I completely agree. I think I'm going to conclude the podcast right there. We have gotten to a lot. Uh, it has been a great week back. Uh, but by the way, how was your Christmas? Real quick. It was awesome. It was amazing. The boys loved it. I got my son a hockey net, and he nice. ran down on Christmas morning, started playing with it right away. It was a fantastic thing to see, and I'm not kidding. Every day when I go home, he says hi, and he grabs his hockey stick, and he wants to play. It's the coolest thing ever, man. That's Dad life exactly is great, what man. That's exactly what we want to do. That's great. exactly what we want to come home to. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, how was yours, I, man? I didn't get to ask how good. yours was. It was good. We went to the Eagles-Giants game up in the Meadowlands, which was a nice uh, nice little win. Um, by the way, the I that was a good win. I did not realize, and I, I've i been to a couple away games, but not as prominent as a divisional game like the Giants. They hate the EAGLES chant. It's hilarious because that Meadowlands Stadium was completely overrun by the Eagles fans naturally because of the circumstances. My God. There was a guy after the Giants tied it up, I think it was at 17, a guy stood up and did the Giants and spelled it out like G-I-A-N-T-S, Giants, and it sounded horrible. So... I did not know how much this, the, the in-division hated the E-A-G-L-E-S chant. It was great. And you, know but what, then you, like, you know what the irony is about that, too? They do a spelling chant for the same exact thing with the Jets. The J-E-T-S, yes. Jets, Jets, Jets. So I don't, I don't buy that one, but I think that's silly. So yeah. It's probably because, you know, the Eagles have owned the Giants for like 10 years now. And it's been a yes. glorious thing. So It, it really has. But we're well, not a football podcast, but we support our local Philly sports. <laughs> of course we do. So that's going to do it. Episode, I don't think I said the number at the beginning of the pod. Episode 12 of Orange and Back Check. We are glad you are here. Uh, subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes. That is a huge, tremendous. Always rate us. Follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. Oh, we have to do our poll still on what you guys want to do for our next Chalk Talk. Goaltending, power play, or penalty kill. We're going to put that up. I'll put that up on the day we release this podcast. That is today, Tuesday. I'm going to put it up. Uh, keep an eye out for that. Uh, we'll have that probably by the end of the month, I would think. Yeah, totally. Make it happen. Right. Whatever the All people right. want, we'll do it. But we want to give them the choice of what we want to do. So we'll put that up on our Facebook page. Or like I said, like it. Or just a simple look for Orange and Back Check. Same thing for Twitter and Instagram. Thank you for listening. I'm Bill Kornfeld. That's Scott Weinhardt. See you next week. Three-point system for the win.